You're listening to MHD Off The Record. On this episode, we'll speak with Dr. Cheryl Grills, a clinical psychologist with a current emphasis in community psychology. She's also a full-time professor at Loyola Marymount University. We'll discuss the role of community connection and mental wellness. Enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to MHD Off The Record. Uh, my name is Marquise Aristos and I'm a council member for the 8th District in the City of Los Angeles and the host of MHD Off The Record. Uh, we've got an exciting podcast today, uh, but I'm very, very honored to announce that we've added a co-host to our show. We were making it more professional because uh, I'm not a professional broadcaster. So we got a pro. Our good friend Siobhan Taylor, a media maven, former associate producer of the famous Front Page uh, on KJLH and a longtime community activist and member here in South Los Angeles. Welcome, Siobhan. Thank you. That's quite an intro, Mark. I Thank appreciate you. that. Excellent. I wasn't even sure if he was going, how he was going to do that, but I feel real honored. I feel yeah. special. There you go. You are special. You are special. <laughs> now Thank you, you Hopefully so much. you can keep me on point on this program. Uh, today we're very excited. Uh, you all heard the intro to our guest, Dr. Cheryl Grills, clinical psychologist uh, with a current emphasis in community psychology. Uh, she's a full-time professor and director of Psychology Applied Research Center at Loyola Marymount University. And far too many roles to count and name in the community. Uh, Cheryl, I would love it if you would start off by just telling your story, how you get into uh, the field of the, the fields of human behavior and how you develop the expertise in psychology, community psychology and African centered psychology. I will start by telling you, I actually don't know if you know this. I actually first encountered you my sophomore year of college. You were starting at LMU and uh, I was going to Morehouse and for some reason the black students brought me there to talk to them and you were talking to them and I thought that, you know, I was at Morehouse so I thought I had the best black professors in the country and I was like, whoa, who's this lady? Uh, and you were there with uh, rest in peace, Dr. Piper Mandy. Uh, and I feel like there was another professor there whose, whose name escapes me at the moment. But I remember being uh, that making a big impression on me uh, at the time. And then later, obviously, uh, when I went to Community Coalition, you had an outsized role in, in uh, that movement. But I'd love to hear your story uh, and how you arrived here. Wow. And I had not heard that story uh, about how you first uh, we first came in contact with one another. Wow, you're making me feel old, Mark. Thanks a lot. <laughs> what a way to start. Um, so my story, how did I get here? It, I think two contrasting life experiences. I'm a, a child of South Carolina. My mom, mm. my dad, all my family, that's mm. our mm -hmm. home base. Mm -hmm. um, and even though there was that great migration, most of us stayed uh, mm -hmm. around. And um, and so I had the, the benefit of Southern upbringing mm. and all the values and sense mm -hmm. of community mm -hmm. and identity that go with it. Then my mom and dad decide to, to do the migration mm -hmm. and uh, they moved uh, my brother and I to Boston with oh, them. I see. And that's got to be one of the most racist places I have ever encountered. Mm. And as time went on, my parents split and the my brother, my mother and I ended up living in the projects. Mm -hmm. And it was a real, it was one of the worst housing projects in Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, by the time I got to my senior year, I had been, I had decided I wanted to be a psychologist or hmm. a probation officer. Wow. And why a probation officer? Because mm -hmm. so many of my friends, uh, and people that I knew from the projects 
were either dead, in jail, um, on welfare. Um, and I just saw from, you know, growing up with them, they were so vibrant when we started. And then they were like, they had just were depleted human beings mm -hmm. by the time I went off to college. And mm. so I stuck with the psychologist, I'm glad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but then when I got to school, I was so ready to learn what I could do and take back to my community. Mm -hmm. And most of the stuff I was learning didn't apply. Mm -hmm. And what little they did talk about black folk, for example, about, it was all negative. We were deficient in this, derelict in that. And I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. And that Southern upbringing kicked back in. And I realized there's a lot more to who we are. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started seeing all the things that were there in the projects, the mm -hmm. sense of community, et cetera. And it was the social circumstances and conditions that got in the way. And I said, okay, I'm gonna have to teach myself. Mm. So in college, I ended up double majoring psychology and African-American studies. Best thing I could have ever done because it gave me the tools and the perspective I needed to fill in the gaps and to dismiss stuff in Western psychology. Then when I got to grad school, I ended up having to design my own minor. Mm, and it was wow. an African-American um, uh, assessment and treatment. And myself and my friend, Dr. Marilla McCurry-Scott, we took our little show on the road. We did this special minor together. And we, as grad students, started going out training people in mental health centers. This is how you work with black folk. Mm -hmm. This is how you, you know, understand people of color. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got to this. Wow, wow. How did you go from psychology, a very individualistic perspective, and I know it's taught that way, mm -hmm. to being able to connect that to the community and looking at it from more of a sociological perspective in addition to that individualistic perspective? Yeah, so you know, I had my little shingle up and I had my little mm -hmm. psychotherapy practice in Westchester. Most of my clients were black folk or people of color. Um, and I realized that I was putting Band-Aids on stuff, you know, it, it, it wasn't getting to the root cause. And I said, there's got to be more. Now, also, truth be told, I was definitely um, impacted by Hector Myers, mm -hmm. Dr. Hector Myers, mm -hmm. who was um, my mentor and my dissertation chair at UCLA. And Hector taught community psychology. So I learned a lot of it from him and the one course I had as an undergrad. And I, I never forgot that understanding that things happen in a context. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and, and if you really want to make a difference, you gotta go figure out where, what's the real cause of this. We can't like one person at a time in therapy, get ourselves out of the, the, this pit of stress, anxiety, depression, you know, et cetera. We've got to deal with the systems and the policies and practices mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that get us here. The other thing, and I'm being the professor, so let me... <laughs> no, it's good, it's good stuff. But the, but I'm the... sitting here learning, like, yeah, <laughs> tell me more. But, but the other thing I realized is, again, remember my upbringing from South yes. Carolina? Yes. It was all about community. Yeah. You didn't walk down the street without saying, good morning, Miss So-and-so, yeah. hello, Mr. Such-and-such, you know? Um, and, and people looked out for each other, people took care of each other. You know, people were involved in, in yes. the movement. Yes. So I realized that that was missing right. from all this individual yes. psychotherapy. That's there was right. not one intervention or treatment intervention that I was trained in that was for the community. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. all one on one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that what propelled you to go into community psychology? Um, yes. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> So I was doing all of my clinical work, but I realized that, you know, while I was also a professor, I realized that the people who really needed me couldn't afford 
the private practice psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. So I went and did the paperwork to provide Medi-Cal services. When a box, this huge box of forms arrived at my office that I would have to fill out all this paperwork on every person that I would see right, under right. that, I said it would be cheaper for me to just do it for free. Right. So that kind of just frustrated me. And then I was also a treating clinician for the NFL. Huh. So I treated all of the, um, I had players from all of the Western region teams who had failed in therapy. You're not doing that anymore, are you? God, no. Because they need, they need you. <laughs> That's actually the final, You feel the absence. That was the final straw that broke the camel's yeah. back. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, because they were like high maintenance. Mm -hmm. I was on call 24-7. So-and-so's mm -hmm. in jail. So-and-so's in the hospital. You're mm -hmm. his treating clinician. And I saw the guys that had substance abuse problems. So I said, you know, but I also saw that they needed something more than therapy. Yeah. So I, um, I said, you know... I, I was working with Community Coalition at that time. I mm -hmm. said, let me let me try something more akin to what I was learning from Hector Myers and, and the community psychology folks. And then I, I took down my shingle. I haven't wow. done therapy for years. Wow. Okay. Now I, it's okay. all community psych. I'll train clinicians. Right. But, I see. Yeah. And so what are the main things you do now? So I know you got us in the city of L.A. Uh, anchored in the 8th District off on this thing called Healing Circles which yours truly was not feeling in the beginning, uh, but has turned into a great phenomena uh, around training community members to provide support to each other, mm -hmm. uh, especially as it's related to trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know you continue to work with organizations. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I got a little note here, uh, you're the gubernatorial appointee to the uh, t state task force on reparations, so we want to know when we're getting our check <laughs> as well. Uh, no, you didn't. You didn't just go there. <laughs> so yeah, I'm doing. I, yeah, I'm doing a lot. Yes, and, you are. <laughs> so I'm still at Loyola, mm -hmm. and I'm still running the research lab there. But 99% of what we do is. Um, uh, supporting social justice work. So mm -hmm. we work with organizations like Community Coalition. Um, I do, uh, I'm the chair um, of the Civil Brand Commission in here in L.A. County inspecting the jails. For women's prisons, right? All the... All, all, the, all prisons, all of, wow, okay. Mm -hmm, Twin Towers, Men's Central, okay. NCCF, and CRDF. Um, and then I... Um, I'm, you know, still very actively involved in the Association of Black Psychologists. I'm a yes. national past president, and we mm -hmm. still have our initiatives that I work on. But I, you know, I'm, I'm also doing the, the healing circle work, which is, you know, is, is aligned with some of the emotional emancipation circle work we do in the Association of Black Psychologists and Community Healing Network. And it was an absolute pleasure for me to be able to work on the South LA healing circles. See, this is this is um, African saying. Um, I don't. I, I won't try to do the Senegalese or Wolof. Um, a, a way of saying it, but I'll do the translation. Mm -hmm. We are each other's medicine. Yeah. We naturally know how to take care of ourselves and mm -hmm. each other, mm -hmm. but we have been so trained out of who we are that we think that the only way you can handle things is what is the way the Western world says you're supposed yep. to handle yep. it. Yep, yep, to turn it into a business. Turn it into a business yeah. and make sure that you're saying something is wrong with you mm -hmm. and it has to be mm -hmm. fixed and mm -hmm. somebody with expertise has to fix you. Well, that's not true. Mm -hmm. That, you know, if we really believe we are each other's medicine, um, then that means that if we come together and our hearts are in the right place where I care about someone, I care about the people around me, 
I, I do the Sawu Bona, I see you, which mm -hmm. means I not only just see you, I have an obligation to be concerned with yeah. your well-being. Yeah. Well, then, you know, when you allow people to the space, the natural healing yeah. tactics yeah. and strategies emerge. And that's what happened with yeah. the self LA healing circles. They didn't need a whole lot from me. I just kind of gave a kind of structure and a format. And then the folks in the community said, okay, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it that way, we're gonna pull these folks in. And I have to say, I went and watched one healing circle, uh, the, the last one I watched before we ended this last go around, um, and Latanya Ward was leading mm -hmm. her circle mm -hmm. in the park outside, and it ran into the dark, and we were there in the dark, cold and shivering because mm -hmm. nobody wanted to yeah, leave. Yeah. It was a group of women. Mm -hmm. Most When we started, it was older women, um, like, you know, 20s to, you know, late 40s, early 50s. But then some young girls kind of passed by mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that South Carolina vibe kicked yeah, in right away. Yeah. What, hey, come on over here. What you doing? Mm -hmm. We're having a healing circle. Mm -hmm. I saw growth, vulnerability, self-disclosure, insights happening at, I would say, warp speed compared wow, to what we right, see happening right, in psychotherapy. Right, right, right. And in a setting that they were willing to come to as opposed to one, a setting that people try to avoid. Yes. Like right now we're dealing with this pandemic and every time we think it's almost over, we get hit with something else. And I'm just wondering, based off of what you just said, what is that role of community connection in healing as well as maintaining during a time like this? And we can't be around each other. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, so I think, first of all, they came up with the wrong phrasing. Mm -hmm. And of course they did because it came out of Western thinking minds. <laughs> mm -hmm. Social distancing? Social distancing. <laughs> yeah. We do not need to social distance. We, we need, need to physically distance. distance. Yes. That's very true. Right? right. Yes. Right. So even yeah. in the midst of the pandemic, when everything was shut down, I, you know, I, I noticed that one of my research assistants was really struggling. She was too isolated. So I said, mask up and meet me at the park. We distanced and we talked through our masks. You know, there was like an arm's length on either side, you know, so it was nice distance. Mm -hmm. It would have been, that, mm -hmm. that would have been a serious coronavirus. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and so one of the things that we have to realize is that this is probably not going anywhere anytime soon. This is this is kind of a temporary new normal for us, mm -hmm. right? Um, and um, I was about to go off on a tangent, but in that regard, the one thing that is our lifeline is our connection to each other. Yep. Yes. And that's not. I'm not just saying that. You know, kind of. Oh, theoretically. No, no. We have actual evidence, neuropsychological evidence, that our brains are wired for us to be connected to each other. And when we lose that connection, that's when the stress is less, you know, tolerable. That's when the depression comes, yeah. the anxiety, all, you know, the PTSD can kick in, yeah. all of those things. So in the midst of this pandemic, just because we're physically distanced doesn't mean we can't maintain connection. Now that connection can happen in a variety of ways. I may not be able to hug you, but I can do a, you know, a virtual mm -hmm, hug. Mm -hmm, I can mm -hmm. hug myself and say, I'm passing that energy on to you. Mm -hmm. And be, and the reality is I actually can pass that energy mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. to you. It's real. Mm -hmm. you know, we're electrical energy mm -hmm. in our yeah. bodies, right? Yeah. Yes. And so we can pass our energy on to one another, even through the Zoom. And we can connect in very creative ways. So when we did the COVID needs assessment for South you know, LA and nationally, yes. 
one of the most consistent findings across the country and in the 4,000 plus people who did the survey in LA was that people were protecting their mental health by doing what culture tells them to do. So I need to talk to you. Mm -hmm. I need mm -hmm. to see you. Mm -hmm. I may not see you like right here in the present But moment. I need to see that you're okay. I need to yeah. see that you're okay. Mm -hmm. I need to talk to you on the phone. I need to be texting you. So what were people doing to hold on to their mental health? They were staying connected to family and friends in whatever way they could. They were using music. Mm -hmm. Music is healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there's no science to actually mm -hmm. show that, yeah. right? Yeah. But that's something our ancestors knew for eons, yeah. Yeah. right? And music and dancing. And then they were using spirituality and prayer, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm not talking religion, mm -hmm. but I'm talking about what is your connection to something bigger than yourself? Do you have a, a, a fluid connection to mm -hmm, that thing? Are you mm -hmm. able to use that, right? And then people were using cultural tools, whether that meant going back and learning some of the more of their family history, whether that meant they were starting to do, hey, I remember watching my grandmother do this quilt and stuff, I'm gonna try that, you know, or like traditional medicine, um, all, all those kinds of things. And that's how our people held on to their sanity. Wow. One wow. of the things that I realized when I was learning uh, to teach, I teach trauma-informed care. And one of the things that I was learning in my research, I realized was that a lot of the Western ways of healing trauma were things that we've already been doing as a people for 100,000 years. African people, indigenous people, we've mm -hmm. been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years. They just discovered yoga in the 60s, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, right. But we've been breathing, we've been doing music mm -hmm. and dancing mm -hmm. and um, meeting and connection and building mm -hmm. connection, but we've never been taught that that's been healing. We've never been taught that was quote unquote psychology. Right, right. That's that kind of, for people who like a middle class, new age, that's that self-care stuff. Exactly. You know, no, that's our stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, that they're yeah. selling back to that us they're selling back yeah. to us and yeah. because they say it's okay yeah we now decide oh it's legitimate right right <laughs> they, they give it legitimacy so that one of the biggest the biggest things we're facing in our community really and in the city is pandemic and the disruption of sort of everyday life mm -hmm. and homelessness and i know you know you talked about recognition and we have the homelessness count and one of the biggest things about the homelessness count is people you have to go around and count homeless people which means you have to go and see where they are and right. how they're doing right um can you talk about the intersection of those things and and what you think our recipe for dealing with the homelessness crisis. Cause you know, as everyday people, we can't go and build an apartment building, right? Mm -hmm. But there's something we can do. Mm -hmm. And the people are in our proximity. We see them all the time. Um, I would love to hear your, your thoughts about that. So I think one of the first things we need to do is to remember that people who don't have a roof over their head are still human beings. Mm -hmm. And so we got to we got to relate to them as human beings. Mm -hmm. If I if the shoe was on the other foot and I'm sitting on a corner and I got my cup here or you know whatever, look at me. Don't look past me, mm -hmm. over me, around me, mm -hmm. but acknowledge my presence. Mm -hmm. And then clearly I need help, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But don't decide for me whether or not if you give me a dollar you know, I'm gonna use it quote unquote wisely. Just realize I need help and then let let go and let God, right? You know, and so like I and and, and I realize again that Saubona, I see you, which means I have a responsibility yeah, for you. Yeah. In my car, 
I keep dollar bills, just like a bunch of dollar bills, ready at all times. So if mm -hmm. I'm at a light and somebody is standing there and they're asking for help, I don't care what color you are, what gender identity you are, my window goes down and I hand you some money, mm -hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, that may actually be food for that person. They may use it for things that I would think is not the best, but it's not for me to judge. It is for me to be there to support and to help. So I think that's one thing. Let's start treating folks like human beings. Then let's recognize that folks who are homeless, who are unhoused also need connection, right? Yes. And so how do we do things in ways that they have input on how to establish connection while we are trying to figure out the logistics of a long-term sustainable solution. So a class, a good example of that, I think, is what they did um, downtown on Skid Row. Um, Zelen Cardenas and the United Coalition East Prevention Project. Yes. They created the refresh bot. Yes. Right? Yes. And so we do the research to, to determine, you know, what impact that's having on folks. The I, I, I've come up with a new research concept and it's called the Cheers Effect. Right. And it's from yep. that old yep. sitcom Cheers. Yep. Yep. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, where they're always glad you came. You want to go where you can see the people are all the same. They created, if you compare the refresh bot where you can go to use the, a bathroom, uh, take a shower, wash your clothes, recharge your phone, just go and feel that place and compare it to how it feels when you go to some of these other missions and other places night and day. You mm -hmm. walk up to the refresh spot, you hear some soul music playing. Yeah. People are sitting and they're talking. Mm -hmm. They have mm -hmm. a place to go. Mm -hmm. They are greeted by welcome ambassadors, right? Mm -hmm. Who know their name, who are glad to see them coming, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you, it's this whole different feel. And I remember watching this one woman, she walked up, she was waiting for her turn to take a shower. And so it became her turn and she, you know, she was kind of just kind of slumping and, sh you know, kind of sh shuffling her way to the, the shower stall. And I watched her and my heart was broken, you know, because I could see how downtrodden she was feeling and et cetera, et cetera. That woman came out of that shower like she was somebody different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she flipped her hair. She was sassying down the pathway. I was like, and the music was playing and people were like, hey girl, I see you, right? What song was playing? Outcast, so fresh and so clean. That would have just made the whole story perfect. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> but so you create environments for people to feel like they matter mm -hmm. and, the, and where they feel that they have a contribution to make. Then once we get some of that, so that's just basic humanity, yep. then yep. we get to the politics stuff and I'll leave that and to And you can you. do the substance abuse and all that. No, I, I right. think mm -hmm. it's so appropriate. I stand in front of community, you know, neighborhood groups, block clubs, and there'll be 30 people in the room and they'll be complaining about a guy who lives in the alley and it's dirty and, you know, makes rodents and, Da, 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 da. And I will stand in the room, and this has happened more times than I can count. I say, okay, there's 30 people in here. Has anybody spoken to him? No one. No. And I'll say, okay, we need to figure out someone to go have a conversation. And invariably, when people stop and have a conversation with the person, lots of things can happen. In one mm -hmm. particular case I'm thinking of most recently, they said, oh, we talked to the person, and he's trying to get back to Detroit. And so we, in that afternoon, we got him, a, we raised money and we got him a plane ticket and we get, you know, somebody, he came in someone's house and he took a shower, we gave him a change of clothes and somebody took him to the airport. And it was, you know, you would think at this stage in human history, 
that, that we those type connection. of right that those things <laughs> would be taken you know as easily as we take breathing but they're yeah. they are um they are not uh talk to us about reparations Okay. Oh, wow. We just right into that. Wow. That was, that was like, yeah. You're not getting out of here without that. Okay. So, you know, so this is a, a, a this is a matter that's near and dear to my heart. As I, as I said to the folks in Santa Monica the other day, um, that it's both uh, personal and professional. Um, and I start always from the point of view, the saying on my favorite T-shirt, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? I have a responsibility. I have an obligation to them to make sure that their struggle, their sacrifice, the 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 things that they endured are redressed. Sure. You know, so on the reparations task force, um, it's an opportunity. I'll start there. It's an opportunity for California to have a reckoning on race. Um, it's an opportunity for California to learn something because most people are really, quite frankly, ignorant about mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. really what were the real harms done to black folk in this country mm-hmm. over 400 years, right? Um, but it, and it's also those same things for the nation. But we have a bit of a challenge um, because we need the community to come and talk to us. What do you want to see happen with reparations? What stories in your family need to see the light of day so we can continue to catalog the harms? And what is your what are your thoughts about, you know, what form reparations should take? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of folks that do the cash payment yeah, idea, yeah. right? That's, you know, and, and, and that'd be nice. I'm that, not gonna yeah. lie. Yeah, that, that would be nice. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere. <laughs> My bank account's a great one. <laughs> uh, ever. Yeah. I also feel like there's for reparations, there's no magic bullet. Right. So if we sense. did the cash payment, fine. I'm not against it, but my question next is, how is that going to move the needle of the conditions, conditions of people? Yeah. How does it actually re- make the reparation? Mm-hmm. How does it actually mm-hmm. repair the damage? Exactly. I have a question. Are you guys also looking outside of California? Because one of the pro- one of the byproducts of a lot of things that have happened to our ancestors here in California is we ended up not being able to afford housing, and mm-hmm. we moved to places like Texas or Atlanta. So, are there is there outreach being done to maybe people who have left California? No. Um, we already have a task that's, yes, that's too huge. huge. Yeah. Got when it. they wrote the assembly bill, um, it it says, and I appreciate that because it's it's relevant, but it made our job that much harder. We are supposed to investigate the harms done during enslavement and post enslavement to the present. That's a lot of territory to cover. Yes. Right. Um, and a lot of people have left and come into California, you know, in those 400 years. So right now, what we're really trying to focus on is what were the harms? And we, we have a national scope that we then kind of um, seal the deal with California-specific examples, mm-hmm. right? And we have not yet had the conversation that takes it to the next level that gets at what you were asking about, which is, who should get reparations and what form should they take? And I'm, I'm afraid to say that I think those last two pieces are the harder parts of our work. It's not identifying well, the harms. Well, and even when you know and it's very specific, it's interesting because we're dealing with this as a policy matter. So take Bruce's Beach in Manhattan Beach. That's one where you actually know 
what happened exactly. Mm -hmm. For the listeners who don't know, can you explain what happened? So Bruce's Beach is a park in Manhattan Beach that the county of Los Angeles took from a black family that owned land on the beach and, and it's called Bruce's Beach. And so now the county of Los Angeles and the state of California has decided to return that to the descendants of that family. Now that family has all of the challenges that come with their wealth being taken away generations ago and being prevented from building wealth. So just to return the property by itself doesn't even come close because now like I can't even afford the taxes on beachfront property, right? right? Because I haven't been owning beachfront property for generations, right? And so even the county seeing like, oh, we can give them back the land, but then we have to repair them in this way. We have to repair them in this way. And, and so it becomes a, a very, very difficult thing to unravel. I can remember my grandfather telling me a story when I was going to college and he was taking respons financial responsibility and he pulled out a newspaper ad and he said, this is uh, an advertisement for when they were building housing in this coastal city. He says, at that time, this was before I was born, obviously, they were selling new houses for $9,000. Mm. And he's like, and I had $9,000. And I knew because it was near the water that it was gonna shoot up in value. And he was like, I, could, they, I wasn't allowed to buy because I was black. And he said that one investment would have paid for your college, your graduate school, like all of that, that one thing yep. would have done that. And this is just, he's like, this is just this one episode of discrimination. This is not even my life of discrimination um, that you can quantify. So it'll, it'll be, uh, you, have, you all have quite a task. I was very happy when the governor uh, tapped you to, to do it because it's, there's the parts you can count very easily and then there's the parts that are much more difficult yes. uh to count in and that are, are qualitative uh i think now we can go to the the lightning round um and this one i hope you prepare because we ask you a few questions about south los angeles uh and you can only take a beat to answer okay. uh just right off the top of your head i'm going to start you off uh with something easy what's your favorite la song my favorite la song Oh, oh, I'm not good at that. <laughs> My fa I don't know if I have a favorite L.A. song. Okay, I'm going to give you some time on that. What's your favorite place to relax in South L.A.? Uh, my favorite place is Kenny Han Park. Kenny Han Park. What is your favorite South L.A. community or cultural event? Uh, Hot and Cool Cafe. Wow, okay. And then your favorite book or movie about South L.A.? Uh, it was a city of inmates by Kelly Lytle Hernandez. Wow, look chapter at you. six. Wow, read city it. Of <laughs> she got the chapter. I yes. mean, city of inmates. City of inmates. It, it talks about incarceration. Uh, and, you know, in the eighteen and nineteen hundreds. Yeah. But when you like that, the chapter six really hones in on like the ha the Harlem of the West. Yes. South LA. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it tells all these stories. Wow. You know, and, and it's like I didn't know, you know, about Marcus Garvey coming here yep. and about. The boys coming here yep. and about LA's NAACP chapter mm -hmm. was like one of the best. Mm -hmm. They ended up bringing their convention here. Mm -hmm. You know this and just yeah. all of the music and the artists that were coming through and the police. Yes, and, the and police. LAPD. Yes. Uh, that's a show unto itself. All right, now uh, we have the opportunity where you ask me a question, uh -huh. and uh, you'll do that. And while you're doing that, I want you to think of your LA song. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> okay so what i want to ask you is when's the last time you did some spinning 
Uh, that's a good question. The last time I uh, DJed, I DJed on Twitch at the very beginning of the pandemic. I did a couple times, a couple, three times. Okay. Uh, I fell out of practice because it was just too crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was the first time I had spun in a long, long time. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's uh, you know, something I keep saying I'm going to do and I don't get to do enough. I know. I just, when I first found out that you did that, I was like, no. <laughs> 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 I, I could not. I was like, nah, yeah, I don't believe yeah. that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it, in a way, it's very nice because once I became elected official, the idea of getting out and getting to a nightclub and getting into a space became very cumbersome. And, mm -hmm. you know, now doing it over the internet is much easier. Mm -hmm. He didn't say this, but he actually DJed my birthday party once. I did DJ my birthday yeah, party did. once. Yeah, he oh, did. Okay, yeah. so, so are you for hire? Well, you know, I was for hire. <laughs> Back I, then. You know, I know. Uh, this ethics rules are uh, very tight in the city of L.A., so I can't... Uh Except was, money for playing records. This had to be back in, what, 2006? Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. Something like long, that. long time ago. Oh, boy. Yes, there it is. All right, one more time. I'm going to fail at this because, you know, I'm I, I'm horrible. I Nobody wants to play Trivia Pursuit with me. Really? Because I can't remember. It's California love. There's more bounce to the ounce. Straight out of Compton. Pass, straight out of Compton, yeah. passing me by by the yeah. far side. Yeah. Come on. So, no, All right, see, next time. But next I, time. Gave, I named one. <laughs> yes, I you did. <laughs> <laughs> you started getting my head going. <laughs> Straight out of Compton. We'll count that as a movie and a song. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Grills, for all you have done uh, and all that you will do. You really help set the tone for how those of us who wish to intervene in the situation that we find ourselves and our people in. Mm -hmm. uh, you've helped give us a roadmap and help give us values and help give us a vision for what's possible and what's possible and what is with our in our own power to to do and so we thank you for that and thank you for spending time with us here on mhd off the record thank you i had so much fun except for that last question <laughs> thank you so much thank you for listening to mhd off the record and special thank you to felicia the poetess morris of morris media studios in lamert park for more information, please visit MHDCD8.com and follow at MHDCD8 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.